Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick. Advisory, assurance, tax, and online at coneresnick.com. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. On this episode of Meet the Manufacturers, I am delighted to be speaking with Sean O'Rourke, who is the Senior Vice President of Operations at Bethany, Connecticut-based Latacrete. Latacrete has a proud history of 60 years of innovation across three generations in over 100 countries and seven continents. And I am excited to find out more. Sean, welcome to the Meet the Manufacturers podcast. Thank you, Claire, for having me. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Oh, fantastic. Now let's dive straight in. Tell me, what do Latacrete make? Okay, so basically we are an international company. We're global. And we make materials that go into flooring and facade systems that are used in residential, commercial, and industrial applications. Think about the tile that's on your floors. To put the tile on, there's work that maybe have to, we have to do to the, uh, uh, the subfloor. And then we put an adhesive on it to make the tile stick. And then we put grout between the joints. That's, in a nutshell, what we provide. Uh, um, we don't provide the title. We provide everything that you could stick a, a tile or a stone to a surface, whether it be vertical or horizontal. And then we have other product lines as well. But primarily, our business is what we call tile and stone installation systems. And tell me then, who is your customer or end user of the, of the products you make? Who do you supply and what are their goals and needs? Our customer, believe it or not, we sell through a distribution system. Because when people are looking for our product, they're also going to the distributors to find the tile, the stone that they're going to uh, apply this to. So our actual customer is the distribution centers. The end user is the contractor, the person putting it on, the do-it-yourselfers. When we talk about distribution centers, we are recently were uh, accepted into one that's actually adding stores and moving into, into a Connecticut. The company's name is Floor and Decor. I believe they've just opened a couple uh, a couple centers throughout Connecticut that we're very excited to be part of. And what they're looking for in the commercial industrial, obviously we want a product that supplies them that they uh, know is going to uh, meet the architectural specifications that are required. Uh, so quality is very important, delivery is important, cost is important, and the ease of putting it down and installing it is also a big component because this is the installation is very labor and you know labor intensive. It's a human putting this material on a trowel and putting it down or rolling it down from that aspect. Gotcha. So describe your company's place, I guess, in in the manufacturing industry. You're a big organization. How many uh, how many employees do you have worldwide? And okay. you know, tell me about the yeah. the setup in within your business. Fair enough. So Latercrete, I'll just give you a little background. We're 65 years old this year, and we've been in Bethany, Connecticut, since the beginning. Bethany is our corporate headquarters. It's uh, the home of one of our R and D centers for North America. It's also a home of one of our largest manufacturing locations, and it's really positioned well between two metropolitan areas we service quite a bit of the boston and new york you know city areas however we've got about 1500 people worldwide about a third of them are what we call north america and north america for later creed is the usa and canada uh, but most of those are primarily in the usa we have sales in over 100 countries nice little uh, aspect here is since we started our product has 
gone down in over 265 billion square foot of wow. uh, tile, stone, and other wow. flooring installations. And break that down a little bit more. That's about, if I did my math right, and hopefully I did being an engineer, it's about 6.1 million acres when you look at it that way, which is Gosh. slightly slightly larger than the state of Massachusetts. That is so incredible. <laughs> you know? What a statistic. You've tiled Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it was, uh, I was trying to find some interesting things to bring this to light. And I actually found that on our website, how to do some math, but uh, it's amazing. It really is amazing. Uh, so like I said, we, we have other products than just the tile and stone installation mm -hmm. systems. We have another product line portfolio that we call masonry veneer installation mm -hmm. systems. So think of when you see the, like the faux stone that goes up, you know, outside of houses and, and et cetera, there's other things we can use that system for as well. We do that putting our flooring down. Our, our flooring system is down on top of existing concrete is also very popular because a lot of work is renovation and not just new construction. So we have a concrete remediation portfolio because some of the concrete may, where the base of the concrete might be structurally sound, the top isn't. So we've got to either take the top off and repair it. And then we have what we call self-leveling self products that it looks like you're pouring a very, uh, a very thin milkshake and it levels itself out to give a nice a nice level floor, obviously, and it sets up very quickly, and then other flooring can be put on top of that. We also are moving into what we call resinous flooring systems. These tend to be uh, very chemical-based epoxies, or what we call polyaspartics, two families. They're more in like garages and hospitals and breweries, more in the, that type of a setting, high traffic, but the architectural view of these can be changed quite a bit. They can be very simple where they look like, you know, different colored chips. We, our products can also be put down where they look like metal or even uh, like terrazzo, like you see in an airport, when you walk through the airport, that's terrazzo. Our applicators can make our materials sort of look like that as well. It's a really unique, beautiful aspect for, uh, for, for something more than just a, uh, a garage floor. And then finally, our fifth portfolio is what we call surface care and maintenance. And that's a system to basically take care of the tile, take care of the marble stone, the granite, countertops, uh, flooring, et cetera to clean better, to prevent being stained. So even though we're primarily what we call TSIS, we have these other four complementary portfolios that we're also growing. That's amazing. And I've got to admit to something here. I might be risking sounding a bit like a geek, but I've got a fascination with tiling. I used to live in Spain and I've been fascinated with the desire to learn how to tile. And also the products that are used in flooring because you described there some of the things that I've seen right. recently you know there's some interesting stuff being done in what you called high traffic areas also in driveways and things like that so rather than having to have loose gravel that goes everywhere there's some fantastic options there which I guess are similar to those that are found on garage floors and yeah. and hospital environments exactly and that's this is where we're we're trying to grow our, our business too and that's north america wise internationally we have very similar type of approaches maybe something a little bit different because believe it or not the geographical areas are they apply tile differently you know uh, north america is a very what i would call mature uh, market and technology mm -hmm. now is where we're going it's basically what used what a 50 pound bag used to cover we we are now moving towards where a new formula with less aggregate in it, more uh, chemicals to help give it the bonding properties. But now we may get the same coverage with a 30 pound bag 
So wow. this so is where great. we're moving yeah. in, in, in Europe and here in our other international areas. We, we're areas where we're breaking into where we may have been a couple of decades ago in this country with how we apply tile. So it's a very unique approach and business model. So therefore, Later Creed has to have multiple business models based on, on really the market that we're, we're, we're involved in. Yeah, very much so. So tell me more about the equipment or the machinery that you use on okay. site. Yeah. Right. So most of our products on the TSIS product line are powder. Okay. It's, uh, we uh, basically have large silos where we can, we can receive what we call our bulk raw materials. And we also add other materials that may come in 50 pound bags, super sacks, which is like a 2000 pound bag. We convey that all up uh, uh, into a mixer. Okay, uh, we mix it for a certain period of time, and then we, we put our product in what we call form, fill, and seal bags. These are bags that basically the two parts, the front and the back, come on a big reel. It feeds through the machine. The machine then makes the complete bag out of the two films. We fill it and seal it, and it comes off the end. So that's that's our main line, but we are and we have those in seven R facilities in, in North America, and we have different varying of, of that type of technology throughout our international group. Then we also make a lot of liquid products because part of the systems potentially is waterproofing because you want to keep water from coming up from underneath the concrete. So we have a variety of mixers that make those products, and then very recently, uh, basic uh, I think last year. Early last year, we launched a uh, ready-to-use grout that there's different types of grouts, believe it or not. There's ones that are made out of epoxy. There's ones made, made out of uh, just cement and sand. And uh, the epoxy type grouts, they're very industrial focused because they're very hardy. And we now have a what we call a cementitious grout because it's made with uh, with other materials that, that can meet those standards, but it's not an epoxy. And that has a different type of mixer as well. So it's a variety of mixing. Mixing, mixing, mixing is the key, whether it's liquids or slurries or powders, and then we containerize. And how did COVID affect, I guess, your supply chain? I'm curious if you had any impact through COVID with, with getting those raw materials or getting your materials to your end users. Right. Well, through what we'll call the, the USA pandemic, it was challenging, but doable. What we're finding since March of this year is just like the rest of the world, the global supply chain is really in flux as economies such as us, Europe, et cetera, as they open up, it's really stretching the, the, the ability to supply, whether it be transportation or raw materials. So that has been a big focus of uh, our procurement team and myself since, uh, you know, since, since uh, March. And it is getting expensive, you know, and in some instances, uh, we do have challenges getting the supply. And we, unfortunately, we don't see that ebbing anytime soon, probably going to carry over into 2022. And it's, uh, it, it's sort of like if the demand wasn't so strong in the United States coming out of, uh, of 2020, we wouldn't have this challenge. But it's a good challenge to have because it means the economy is starting to kick back into gear and hopefully start making its way back to, to pre-2020. Yeah, it's definitely something we're starting to see here in the US. Uh, I hope that Europe catches up. Uh, so you are the Senior Vice President of Operations. You have a very grand title, Sean. Tell me, yes, yes. <laughs> what does that mean in reality? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Okay, well, let's talk about the, uh, the departments that are part of my team. So we have, of course, manufacturing, which is the manufacturing and the warehousing and the shipping component. 
We have engineering, which is multiple facets of engineering. So we have what we call process engineers. These are the engineers that work with our R&D teams to take the formulas they develop and commercialize them up through the manufacturing process, as well as troubleshooting, et cetera, continuous improvements. We have project engineers who are focused on, well, you know, capital expenditure, adding equipment, modifying equipment, et cetera. We have system engineers. There are controls engineers that manage our control systems around those, mach those machine systems that we talked about earlier. Quality control, obviously. Environmental health and safety comes under that, as does our procurement and logistics team. So logistics is arranging the trucks, managing all of our carriers, and the procurement is really having the, the, the lion's challenge right now of getting our raw materials and, and supplied into the manufacturing process. So that's the, that's is what falls under, you know, the, uh, the operations team. My day can vary from being very tactical. You know, let's face it, 2020 was probably a very tactical year for a lot of companies, just dealing with the changes that can happen from the uh, you know, impact from the pandemic. And now we're, I stay on tactical at a time because we're modifying how we do things. And then now we're moving into strategic mode. So I would say if I had to give a breakdown of tactics versus strategy right now, quite frankly, it's probably 50-50. I would like to move that, you know, start moving it at least from my level to be maybe, you know, 70-30 on the strategic side, 30% on the tactical side. But that's going to take a while because we've got to come out of this situation and it does require tactical thinking at times and and what that means for us is you work with your teams quite closely you're part of the problem solving process uh versus just figuring out where we're going to go and and how we're going to get there and that that's actually enjoyable because it allows uh, it allows me to use basically to use different i want to say different parts of my brain but also it keeps me from being bored you know, because it's it's always fun to get involved with the team and build that uh, camaraderie when you're when you're in the middle of a situation that requires, you know, quick thinking, quick problem solving, come together as a team to solve a problem, which is very much a tactical component of, of our jobs. Sounds like there's certainly enough to keep you busy on the day to day, Sean, for sure. And interestingly, you kind of bring me on to my next question, which is tell me more about the management of the company and I guess your employee culture and values that you have within the business. The Rothberg family is very much a unique, I think, family in the business world where we really are. They really are employee focused. They look out for the best of the employees. We're very, very fortunate. We kept on uh, business, didn't really drop off all that much in 2020. We had a couple of months where it slowed down, but what obviously what we supply into really didn't didn't stop in the country. So it kept on going. But the changes that we had to make when we made changes, it was always with the focus of how can we keep our, our, our fellow team members gainfully active and gainfully working. And that's the approach they've taken all the time. So very much an employee focused company. They allow us to to do our jobs and they even they they know that we have their best interest in heart and they have our best interest in heart. So the teamwork is pretty impressive because they will have the ability to, they do listen. They do take what uh, what uh, their leadership proposes to heart. It, it's been a, a refreshing experience because most of my career, the vast parts of my career have, have been with public companies. And to experience this on this level with this size of company, because it's, it's, it's a good mid-sized company, is very refreshing. So it's a very forward-thinking company, very uh, uh, innovative as far as what we deliver into the industry and that's driven by the leadership and the and the Rothberg um, family as well so it's it's a good company to work for it really is 
I'm sold. I'm sold, Sean. Where do I sign up? <laughs> so, so you mentioned, you know, that you're an engineer uh, by yeah. trade. At what age did you begin to think that perhaps a career in manufacturing was for you? Was it always well, part of the plan? In fact, I, I would say it. I it was. I I never had. I can't go back to a time where I had the epiphany that said, "Aha, this is the path." I grew up in a, uh, a construction family. You know, my dad worked construction his whole life. Went to university, became a chemical engineer. Now I did notice from there that I probably was better off in a manufacturing environment than like a design a design firm because I'm a hands-on person. I'm a hands-on learner. So maybe that fortified the path of just making it obvious for me to go into manufacturing. In fact, my first my first job out of university was a frontline supervisor. So it was in the supervisory ranks right away, and I was in that role for you know several years before I actually went into a what I would call a pure engineering role for a couple of years. So it just seemed like the natural the natural path, I guess. And what skills, I guess, what skills have been the most useful to you in your career from starting that first role up to being the senior vice president? <laughs> what skills? Uh, yeah, qu quite frankly, you know, I think you know people talk about emotional uh, intelligence, but it really comes down to the relating to team members and having team members relate to you, regardless of where they are in the hierarchy of a, of a company. And that's that's always been beneficial to me because I enjoy working in a team environment. I enjoy having the team succeed. I enjoy seeing the team continue to succeed, even after I may have moved on from uh, from a position, you know, or or the company. So it's really, and that's it's the people. It's the people you work with, and having those you know quote unquote people skills, I think is the most important part of being a, a good leader. And that's definitely benefited me the most. And it's made my life. It's made my work more enjoyable because those relationships are fun to have and they make you want to look at going to work every day. So. Absolutely. Nobody wants that Sunday evening dread uh, of a job they yes. don't enjoy. You know, one of the things that I've really kind of learned from doing these podcasts is the passion that people within the manufacturing industry have for their careers and and the joy that they get from actually producing something. So at the end of their yeah. shift or at the end of their working week, they've got something to show for that hard work. So what advice would you give to somebody, perhaps a young person or somebody returning to the workforce who, who might be interested in exploring a career in manufacturing? You know, what are you looking for as a, a resume hits your desk? What are you looking for in your next recruits? I personally look for a bit of variety in what they've done in the past, whether it's been in, you know, whether it's, it's their first time into manufacturing versus being in manufacturing, maybe going, you know, working up the proverbial career ladder. Because in manufacturing, I personally don't believe if people are just like siloed into one area, into one thought process, or even into one manufacturing process, it's tough to maintain that high level of efficiency mentally if you're always doing the same task every single day or, or thinking the same way every day. So look for variety. When you, when you talk with people, you, you want to hear what their troubleshooting process is. You know, can they can they handle things coming at them sideways? You know, because that's one thing about manufacturing is sometimes you just something happens and you have to react and you have to be able to feel very comfortable in the moment of a little bit of chaos to understand how to get through that chaos and solve the problem and move forward. Yeah, those pro problem solving is seems to be one of the most common themes that that runs right. throughout these podcasts. Is you know, is people yeah. who can think on their feet, who can think. I dread to say the the cliche, but outside of the box to find solutions for manufacturing problems. 
Right. And that's just not for degree people. That's for our warehouse team members, our manufacturing floor team members, our QC team members. It's across the board that when we get these types of, of abilities in these various areas, it really improves the continuous improvement, the safety, the quality. It really helps that flow much easier. And it kind of thinking on a more personal level, what three people or figures perhaps have had the most impact on your life or your career? Who has guided you to, to where you are today? Out of all the questions that you sent me, I've been thinking about this one a lot. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I really can't come down to like, you know, three people, of course, family, right? You know, the, you know, growing up in a, uh, in a construction-minded environment, the one thing you learn relatively quickly from the parents is, uh, you know, a strong work ethic. Okay, so there, there's no doubt influence from, from there. But when I look at the career and moving down from there, it's really a, a bunch of influences. I've had several leaders that I worked for that uh, took the time to have the real hard uh, conversations with me on opportunities or areas where they thought I could uh, be a little bit different, you know, you know, opportunity for improvement. And I definitely appreciate those individuals who do that because those are sometimes tough conversations to have with people. But if the person on the receiving side takes it to heart, it can make a big difference in their in uh, in how the career advances. And I, like I said, I got a lot of influence just working with the uh, you know my manufacturing and warehouse team members who actually you know were doing the the day to day work in in those environments. You can learn so much from them and and in how they interact with people, how you need to interact with people to be successful. So I've had a lot of influences. I can really have a tough time saying these three or these two or these five people were my role models because I've had so many when I look at uh, how my career has advanced and the opportunity to work in multiple states. So in, in experiencing different cultures, which is I think was huge and, and also improving the ability to uh, relate and uh, develop teams. So come on then, Sean, when you're not focused on your work, what do you like to do to unwind and relax? Well, pre, uh, pre-pandemic. Um... <laughs> We've all got these two lists, haven't we? Pre and post. It's unbelievable. Yes. So pre-pandemic, uh, a lot of things uh, we like to, we'd like to do, my wife and I, is we like to travel. And not just uh, you know domestically. We we actually had multiple trips to Europe uh, planned for 2020 that got impacted. We had plans to go to Ireland. We had plans to go back to Iceland and a couple other places. So hopefully we'll get back to that. Domestically, we we like to go to sporting events, primarily uh, football and rugby games. You know the occasional concert. Did and you then, just say but, rugby? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did. <laughs> You know, That's I've in never our version it. of American football without I know, pads. I know. I, I, I've <laughs> never played it. When I did my uh, MBA up in Boston back in uh, oh, 25 years ago, a couple of my friends from you know played, so I went and watched them a couple times. And it's just, you know, it's just something I've caught occasionally on TV. But um, I currently live in New Orleans, and before this, I was living in Houston, Texas. And uh, there's a major league rugby league. Um, and wow. we started, we started uh, going to games in Houston and now we're going to them over here and they're fun to watch. I mean, it's a, it's a great sport. It, uh, it's, it's fun. So, uh, those are the two sporting events we, we try to go to more than a couple times a year and then, and then the occasional concert. And then, you know, my wife and I, we also use just downtime on, on the weekends to recover from the week and prep for the mm-hmm. next week. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm surprised. That's the first time I've ever heard somebody talk about rugby. It's certainly in one of these podcasts, that's for sure. (laughs) I'm uh, an anti-egg chaser. We call them egg chasers. Uh, And I prefer the beautiful sport of football, soccer, of course. (laughs) Well, 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 believe it or or not, that's uh, we're big fans of World Cup soccer. Of course. So so we were actually uh, went to South Africa in 2010 to watch the... uh, to watch the USA tie tie England and, uh, <laughs> in, the fir- in the first match. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I'm on dodgy ground. I want to say that that was the World Cup, but there we go. I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to get drawn. On the other hand, of course, the American women's team is utterly incredible and inspiring for every little girl around the world. So uh, exactly, your men's exactly. team not so much not so much <laughs> no no that's why we should be watching the women play more because you know, they <laughs> are sure. they are phenomenal they are Absolutely. phenomenal they are utterly incredible uh, and it's also very desirable funny enough for um young european girls you know they're that the highest thing i guess they can really aspire to is to get a scholarship here in the states because this is the country that develops and grows that talent whereas we just don't have the infrastructure to be able to support professionally as many women as we should uh, in Europe. So uh, credit to the US, go on. Last couple of questions for you then, Sean, before I let you off the hook. What are some of your biggest successes or things that you're most proud of throughout your career? I've been asked this question a couple of times. It's always been asked in interviews. I take a lot of pride when I move on from a position. I haven't worked for a lot of companies, but I've been promoted throughout the uh, most of the ones I've been with. And when my successors come in, I do take pride in that they then at some point in time, you know, maybe break production records that we set or they take the team to the next level. Because the way I look at that is that means I left them a good foundation, a good team, you know, to continue that 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 progression. So I take a lot of pride in seeing my teams continue their growth and success after I move move to a different position. I like that a lot. I like, as I said before, I'm very much more team team focused in my uh, successes than individual focus from that so seeing the team do well um for example when we we launched this uh this new ready to use grout that i discussed uh, a while back called spectralock one because the technology is is a bit uh, the, the product is a, a bit of a newer newer style to the industry we had some challenges in the engineering and just seeing how the engineering teams came together with manufacturing with r d at that point in time i was vp of engineering not in this role so to see the teams come together and make that a success you know, you know that's uh, that's something that will always be a high achievement on my on my end. But yet again, all team related is, is my approach. I also used to take great pride in doing a good handover. Uh, obviously, yes. moving from the UK to Spain and then the Spain to here, it was a great source of pride, making sure I did an appropriate handover to ensure that the uh, the work that I'd done hadn't gone to waste and that they could continue to grow. So it's kind of a a selfless task, but a, a good task. Great pride. So what is one common myth about your profession or field that you wish to debunk? The myth I would try to address today is lack of diversity. Diversity comes in multiple different uh, different components. When I look at, you know, even even Creek, for example, this is why it tends, it, it tend, manufacturing tends to be, unfortunately, uh, at least in the floor level, it can be relatively male-driven. We are not necessarily all that at Creek. We have a lot of women in uh, leadership roles, whether it be uh, our EHS manager, our quality managers, our VP of HRs, uh, uh, director of uh, strategic sales and accounts. 
So I think that's the biggest myth is that manufacturing has to be a male dominated industry and it doesn't have to be. And the best companies make, make sure that it's not both, whether it be gender, race, religion, et cetera, because those diverse cultures tend to do what we were talking about earlier, which is they tend to come, they can come together as teams and they can make very formidable problem solving teams and, and improvement teams that make a, a company very efficient. Any predictions then about the future of manufacturing in your view? I mean, obviously it would be great to, to have that more diverse workforce across the industry. However, what about doing business in the state of Connecticut? What are your predictions if you had a crystal ball, Sean? I don't think it's necessarily just doing business in the state of Connecticut. We're, I think we're, we're, we have manufacturing facilities in eight plants in the United States, and we, we sort of see commonality challenges across the, the board. Probably what you've seen with some of your other people who have talked on this as well is it's as the workforce goes, it's sometimes challenging you know, to find the uh, labor that we're looking for at any level. You look at our unemployment level before the pandemic, and it was pretty low. It was challenging finding filling positions then and still find challenging uh, filling positions now, regardless of where we're at. So it's really having an available workforce is going to be the challenge moving forward in this country. Yeah. And particularly here in Connecticut uh, is keeping our skilled workers. Where do you see yeah. yourself and or your company headed? I don't want to say well, the classic five or 10 years, but where do you see it headed? Okay. Well, Later Creed has been a company that's had, you know, pretty impressive year by year over year growth for its whole history. And I really don't expect that to change from that. The question, the more the more personal question is, you know, just starting this journey as the, you know, being over operations, you know, being the leader of operations. So we've got uh, the next several years, which it's, we don't want to be the status quo. We have opportunities to improve, to further improve our ability to supply the level of product and service that our customers expect from us and do that very efficiently and as cost effective as possible. So those are going to be our challenges. This global supply chain is going to be interesting to see. It's going to get better in 2022, but probably there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of price uh, pressure of uh, suppliers to go back uh, to pre-pandemic pricing because it's going to be elevated for a year, year and a half and they're going to they're going to get used to to that even as they're as their raw materials drop, people are going to want to maintain margins. So that's going to be challenging and looking for how we manage that and how we become more effective. So the the next, you know, next several years is really going to be that challenging and, and growing the North American operations team to be more more competitive than we currently are, which is pretty competitive. Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a tall order, certainly coming off the back of a, a pandemic that we haven't had to deal with for many, many, many years. <laughs> that's for sure. So when you look back over your entire career, was it everything you were hoping for, Sean? A bit of a deep question, but in terms of achievements or contributions or simply in your own life and family, is it delivered everything you hoped and wished? I would say it probably delivered more. When I came out of university, you know, my grand expectation was to be a plant manager. And after that, you know, after that was achieved, I'm trying to remember how many years it took. It probably took me 20-ish. 18, somewhere in that range, achieve that, everything after that has sort of been, you know, very much unplanned. You know, for, for me, it's been opportunities that have popped up that I wanted to get it, you know, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go over and do this. Yeah, let me try that. And, and having the, uh, the the companies uh, be able to give me those opportunities. So uh, to be here at Ladycrete in this role is icing on the cake, the way I look at it. And yeah, it's been it's been a good career. It's 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 given my uh, me and my wife a lot of opportunities to have fun and travel and do fun things. She's also a career a career minded person. She's actually a plant manager of a chemical plant down here. So manufacturing has been very good to us, and we hope to maintain it. You know, uh, moving forward. 
a real family affair. Sean, it's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure speaking to you today. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, the company, and carry on the conversation, how can they find out more? Do you have a website, social media? Yeah, well, uh, I don't have any of those. I've got LinkedIn. So that's, uh, that's pretty much for me. For Latercrete, latercrete.com. We're very big in social media. We've got YouTubes, et cetera. Uh, the, uh, the, the sales and marketing team is pretty savvy from that end. So, and then there's just reaching out. We have one of the best technical service departments in the, in the industry. And that, we just don't say that. We have other people say that routinely in uh, various uh, publications and various uh, surveys that are done by the industry. So anybody who wants to use our product, if they have any question of uh, how to use it, what to use, call, calling into our technical service department, I think is a great aspect to learn more about how our products are used and how they can use them. Sounds great. So to get in touch with you, Sean, LinkedIn, to find out more about the company, hit the company website. Sean, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for being a part of Meet the Manufacturers podcast. It's been a privilege to have a chat to you today. And hopefully we get to catch up again in the future and see where you are then. Thank you. And I look forward to that. Have a great day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT or you would like to join the organization, you can visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, one of the largest accounting, tax and business advisory companies in the United States. Visit their website for more details, coneresnick.com. Cone Resnick, advisory, assurance, tax.